This is Transcend with Nat, where we're discovering our higher purpose and sharing stories and awarenesses along the path of transcendence. Hi, and welcome to the show today. This is Nat. I'm your host. We've got a great show today. Uh, we have Sathadi, uh, who I'm going to interview later in the show, and I will introduce her before uh, I start interviewing her. But first, I like to talk about what's on my mind. So what's on my mind today is courage and what that means. So recently, I sent a open letter in a group that I'm part of, and it was something that was an uncomfortable letter. It definitely um, dealt with things that were important for me to say, important for me to address. I definitely didn't necessarily do it in a perfect way, meaning I had uh, my own feelings, frustrations, um, hurt, anger, things that could be uh, seen in that email or felt. And I did my best to own all of that and to nonetheless speak the truth in the most loving way I could um, and overall, you know, do that. I didn't want to send the email at all. In fact, I really didn't want to send the email. I knew that there would be it would create a stir, it would uh, upset a fair amount of people, and that I may be subject to uh, being somewhat ostracized from the group or being um, called names or personally attacked and definitely have a fair amount of negativity come my way. And I personally, I don't like that. I don't know who does. Uh, I. I'm not one of those people who uh, seeks that out. And yet, nonetheless, it seemed very important for me to state my truth and to say what I needed to say. Um, and to do so publicly, to bring light to certain things that were important inside of me to bring the light to. So since that time, which is uh, a little over a week ago, I've definitely had a lot of negativity pointed at me, some personal attacks, and I've also had a lot of people who were very grateful, who were very thankful um, that someone finally said something and that I was saying what, that I was standing up and saying what was true for me. I've had people say, you know, thank you so much for your courage, and that took a lot of courage. And at the time that I did it, I wasn't thinking in terms of courage, but when people started saying that, I was like, well, let me uh, look into this thing we call courage and let's, let's disc the, discuss it and uh, look into it and see what, what I can find out. Now, if you look at the etymology of the word courage, it comes from core, and that means heart. So part of this is it's coming from the heart. And... It's also something for me that I found was, when I thought about it, was that you stand up in your truth um, regardless of what the consequences may be, and you stand up for what is true in your heart and what is true for you. Uh, now, one of the... I'm going to play you, actually, a JR excerpt 
um, John Roger, my teacher, from when he was on the Merv Griffin show. And this is a long time ago. I'll actually put the link in my blog uh, at transcend.online in case you want to watch the whole interview. But he talks about what integrity is. And so I'm going to play that for you right now. We defined integrity as having the courage to go with the truth as you know it, as a heartfelt response, with care and consideration for others. Mm -hmm. So it puts a, a thing inside far beyond truth called standing up for the principles that you know inside of you that have worked, that you've worked, not just believe in, but you've worked them, they've held true, and you're willing to share them with other people just for the sense of that we're people for no other gain. So I think that's a great definition of integrity, but it definitely involves courage. And one quote that I like, which Maya Angelou said, which is courage is the most important of all virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. And so when Jair says we've defined integrity as having the courage to go with the truth as you know it, as a heartfelt response with care and consideration for others, um, to me that involves the courage. I mean, you have the, you have the truth inside and the integrity is standing up, which is by doing that, it's having the courage, which is in my experience to do it knowing that there may be negative consequences, um, but to stand up in your truth anyway, as a heartfelt response with caring for others. Um, and so that's, to me, a great definition of this thing that we call courage. Now, it can definitely move you out of your comfort zone, and it's not necessarily something that, um, it has varying degrees, let's say, every day. Now, holding to your truth and holding in the integrity of that is can be an important thing every day. And there may be times throughout the day, uh, through each day, where you need a certain amount of courage. And then there are times where it takes an extra amount of courage that you're not used to. And then what happens after you have that courage to... Uh, hold in your truth, to speak in your truth, to live in your truth, the next thing that you're going to need, the next quality that you will need is endurance. Because <laughs> after you have that courage, then you get to endure the consequences of it. But that's why you need the courage in the first place because if there were no negative consequences or at least you didn't think there was going to be negative consequences uh, you wouldn't need that courage that heart to do it anyway um, and so that saying he wins who endures to the end uh, really comes into play and so we we hold in our truth and then the challenge after that is to not be taken out of our truth by what other people think and by other people's opinions and not to um, move, get baited into a fight or into something that uh, is a reaction versus something that is an action. Which reminds me of another quote, of course, I love quotes. And so let me see if I can find that quote. Um, I actually didn't even have it planned. 
but it is, I just found it. It is Socrates, and it says, Socrates said, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. And in our life, so to me, courage, part of courage is coming from the inside out. So holding true to the truth inside of you and to in and especially after you do an act of courage and um, in your own life and then to endure and to have the persistence to maintain and hold in that truth even as any attacks or negativity or or even positivity comes your way because you know people don't often talk about it but we can be thrown out um, and get off course by people having positive reactions to us and believing in us because it can affect our ego and then you know we can lose track of our own inner um, truth and so both ways both the negative and the positive can pull us out of our inner truth and it's important that we take that time um, to really evaluate where we're coming from are we coming from the heart and if we're coming from the heart, if we're working in the loving, and we're working in what's true inside of us with care and consideration for others, uh, to me that is a courageous act of living your life in that way. And so that's really what I wanted to talk about because that's what's on my mind uh, this week. And I just wanted to share all that with you. Uh, maybe some of you can uh, be more inspired to hold more true inside of you and to have that as a focus in your life and to um, speak your truth in a loving and caring way. And so that's, that's what we have today. So let's move into the interview now. So on the show today, we have Seth Huddy. Seth Huddy is an amazing, knowledgeable health guru. She has a great story, which I find completely inspirational and um, about how she has overcome different challenges in her life and how she applies that with her clientele. She really is one of Hollywood's best-kept secrets. I know that's a cliche, but in this case, she is. She has no website. She has no social media presence. She only works by word of mouth, and she has built up a business that the clients of which are some of the most wealthy people in the world, some of the most famous people in the world, uh, as well as other people who she just helps out uh, because she has such a giving heart. So welcome to the show, Seth Huddy. <laughs> Thank you. That was quite an introduction. <laughs> well, it's well-deserved. Um, Seth Huddy is someone who I am very grateful to know in my life. Uh, one of the greatest blessings in my life is that I know Seth Huddy and that um, I know her as well as I do. I started out as a patient and now know her much more than just as a patient. So I know a lot about her story and I think it is amazing. And so that's a lot of what I want to do here is kind of look at her story um, and have her tell her story and have her tell how she's overcome different challenges as an inspiration for others, really, even if she may not always look at it like that. But for others, I find that it's very inspirational. So maybe we can start out by you just giving an overview of from 
you know, a quick overview where where you were born, where you come from, how your life unfolded until you got to the point we are now. Okay. Um, well, I was born in Rockport, Massachusetts, which is a small fishing town on the North Shore. And um, my parents were married, mother and father. My mother, uh, when she was when I was about three, started getting into yoga and meditation and um, specifically kundalini yoga. And she then converted to be a Sikh and she was a follower of Yogi Bhajan. So my brother and I grew up as Sikhs in that community. Um, when I was 10 and a half, um, I went to boarding school in India because at the time, um, Yogi Bhajan told most parents that it would be a great experience for their children and that most parents are too neurotic to raise their children anyways, so why not go? Um, my brother's older than me, a year and a half older than me, and I couldn't imagine him going without me. And so we off we went. Um, just to be clear, my parents did not come with us. So we went off to boarding school. I was in a girls' boarding school. He was in a boys' boarding school up in the Himalayas. And for me, it was a fantastic experience. Um, I'm super grateful for it. I frequently get asked the question, am I angry at my mom? Or what is my relationship with my mother today? And really, I just love her so much. And I'm so grateful for the experience and have so much compassion for how much it must have cost her emotionally to send off her children to a foreign land that she had never been to before, to a school that she knew very little about, um, and to let us go and to grow and explore who we are, who we were going to be. So I stayed there until I was almost 19. I was about 18 and a half and then came back to America, to Los Angeles. It was very overwhelming. Having lived in India all those years, um, it was before the internet and before cell phones and computers. Maybe there were computers, but we certainly didn't have any. And we really didn't have television. Um, so coming to America, it was shocking. It was shocking that so many women were half naked. And it was shocking just the whole culture of America, really, my biggest exposure to America had been fashion magazines, and I was quite certain I would be the biggest person in the entire country, not realizing there's such an obesity right here. <laughs> it's kind of ironic. Um, and yeah, so then I came back to America, and do you want me to keep going? Yeah, yeah, let's uh, just an overview of what happened when you got back and to how you got to here. Well, um, I came back to Los Angeles and it was, like I said, very overwhelming. So I moved to New Mexico and my brother was living there and that seemed like a good place to live, especially since he was there. And I just love him so much. He's an amazing, amazing man. Actually, uh, he was interviewed on this very show. It's Siri. Siri is uh, Sahadi's brother. So when she's talking about him, uh, there's a great interview with him. He's the medic and what he learned on the ambulance. Uh, it's the actually first interview we did here. So continue. <laughs> um, yes, if you haven't listened, please do. He's amazing. Um, 
So where was I? Oh, so I moved to New Mexico and I was living there and was trying to figure out who am I and what do I want to do? But I'd always had a call towards medicine. I'd always wanted to work with medicine when I was in school in India. The nurse let me vaccinate the entire school. Um, and I would hang out in the nurse's station just learning things. And uh, I was really into homeopathy and I'd read homeopathy books and friends would come to me if they needed a remedy or if they couldn't figure out how to get better. And I love working with foods and herbs. And um, there was, it's always been a passion, but I somehow didn't quite go that direction right away. I worked as a security guard and a ski instructor and an accountant for a short period of time, just trying to figure it all out. And um, got married uh, when I was 20 and had a child. And then went back to India and lived there for a couple of years. And after I'd been there a couple of years, I was coming back to America trying to figure out what to do with myself. Um, and I got offered a job with Dr. Saram Khalsa in Beverly Hills and came back here to Los Angeles and started working with him. And I would work all the time. And I learned a lot from him. And to me, it was the best education I could have possibly received. He's so smart and he does both alternative and um, Western medicine. So I got to really see how to integrate the two of those using herbs and homeopathy, but also using Western medicine. And he did acupuncture and um, it was a phenomenal education. So I worked there for about six years and then uh, one of the guys from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the band, asked me if I could help him. And I was working at Dr. Kalsa's, and I thought he meant, like, send him some herbs in the mail. And the next thing I knew, I was touring with this massive band who really I didn't know much about until I saw a VH1 behind-the-scenes special. And I went to one of them and said, wow, you guys are really big. And he, said, <laughs> he asked me what rock I had been living under. Um and so I started doing that. And then that was the next amazing adventure of learning. And what was great about that, I mean, there were so many things, but being able to travel all around the world and meeting doctors and other healthcare providers and learning from them and asking them questions and uh, just picking up new techniques for healing, it was an amazing experience for which I'm super, super grateful. Well, it sounds like quite a life going from a small boarding school in the Himalayas, uh, not exposed to Western culture at all, to all of a sudden being touring within a massive international rock band and all the things that happen on tour were probably eye-opening too in terms of the culture, um, which is very different, I'm sure, than, than India. Um, so... Let's go back a little and just explore a few things. Um, when you do you remember getting on the plane to when you went to go to this boarding school in India? Do you remember like what what was it like? What were you thinking? I mean, here you are, you're 10 years old, you're going off. Did you know that you're not going to come back to America for 10 years or whatever, eight years? At the, when you took off, or did you think you were going to come back in the summer? or how? What was that like? What was that experience of going to this foreign land? 
Well, I actually, I do remember it. I, we were on a Pan Am flight and I was, remember being really excited. And I've had this, uh, this teddy bear that my father gave me when I was little, pretty much, I think since I was about three, maybe three and a half. And it's called Paddington. It's a Paddington bear. And I remember having my Paddington in my backpack and saying goodbye to my mom and just being so excited for the adventure. I did think that I was only going for about six months. And also, I mean, I was young. I had no concept of where I was going, how far away it was, that I was going to be on a plane for 30 hours or something like that. None of that was uh, computed in my brain. Um, was there an adult with you or are you by yourself? There was an adult. There was a man with us who was our chaperone, an American man. Okay. And I was with my brother and I think nine or 10 other, other kids. I think there was 11 of us total, if I remember correctly. Had it been hard being a Sikh and, and when you're a Sikh, at least, um, how you grew up you guys had turbans on and a different type of dress. Was that hard to go to school in America dressed up like a Sikh? It was, um, you know, wearing a turban when you're that young before everyone has an awareness, everyone meaning the other kids in school have an awareness of what a Sikh is. You get called lots of names, diaper head and Q-tip and tampon head. And uh, yeah, it was challenging. And on top of that, you eat strange food because at that time it was all organic vegetarian vegetarian so when the person next to you is eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you're opening up a thermos that's broccoli and rice and it's been sitting there for about four hours it doesn't smell that good and definitely a lot of teasing took place but um I held my own. I was pretty scrappy. I remember getting into a lot of fights when boys would make fun of me. I was going to ask you how you handled it. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly didn't just sit there and let them make fun of me. That's for sure. <laughs> I would be surprised knowing you if you had. <laughs> but that was one of the reasons I was excited to go to India because it just seemed like it would be easier to be in a place where um, it was all more accepted. So when you finally got there... Do you remember like getting to the school and like, what was that like? Were they speaking English? Were the kids English or was it, uh, you know, like mixed culture? Like, what was it? What was it like? Uh, I do remember getting there and let me tell you, it was not what the brochure said. I remember <laughs> looking at the brochure and getting a um, letter from my friend, Samporan, who had been there, she'd gotten there, I think six months or a year before. And I was under the impression we were going to go horseback riding and there was a pool and it was all... Was that on the brochure? Yeah. It all sounded really <laughs> fancy. And I remember getting there thinking, what is this? It was all cement buildings with um, metal roofs and uh, there wasn't a lot there. And because I was young, I got put into a dorm. I think there was at least 40 girls in the room. It was, it was like Madeline, you know, the book where it's all these bunk beds and all these girls are just lined up and you have a huge group shower. It was very, very different. And most of the, um, students were Indian or Thai. So they were either, um, uh, maybe a couple English, but all Indian of Indian descent. Um, 
And I don't really remember if they were speaking English or not, but I do remember that it took a minute to get used to the accent um, of what they were saying. But I think that most of the Indians learned a lot from us in terms of at least cussing and a lot about American culture. <laughs> and you learned to speak the language. Yep. Um, in school, I took Punjabi, so I can read and write that, but I don't speak it very well. Um, but most of my friends spoke Hindi and Thai, so I speak Hindi. And do you read you, Do you read uh, Punjabi or Gurmukhi? Yes, I do, but not Hindi. And so tell us about Gurmukhi. What's that like language? I mean, people out there may not know what that is. It sounds like something from Star Wars. Well, the Sikh religion has a book called the Guru Granth Sahib, and I could compare it to the Bible. And that's where the teachings of how to live your life are, which is, it's a very universal religion actually seeks. It's, we believe in one God and everyone's equal and no religion or person is better than any other. And there's only one God and God is everywhere and everything. At least that's my understanding of the Sikh religion. Um, and so the book, the Guru Granth Sahib is written in Gurmukhi. Well, it wasn't originally written in Gurmukhi, but it is. And so that's the written language. And then Punjabi is a spoken language that people of the Punjab speak, which are mostly Sikhs. So in school, I chose Punjabi so that I could read the, um, the scriptures. So when you, how was your health while you're in India? Because I've been to India and I got sick. And I'm just wondering, as a kid, you went there, new place, new culture. How was your health? Because obviously health has been a, something that you've, uh, got really interested in there, but how was your health? Uh, health was definitely a challenge, but it was very much, I just figured that's what was happening to everybody. So it seemed quite normal to have an upset stomach and bad stomach cramps and sweats and headaches. And for how long? For years, years. Um, I think three or four years later, I was diagnosed with Giardia and, I didn't know what that even was. And as an adult, when I realized that I had had it for that many years, it was slightly horrifying. And now that I have a child myself, if my child had that for years, I, I mean, I think I would uh, be really upset. But my mother didn't know, and I didn't know, and didn't really say anything to anybody. I just sort of dealt with it. But sore throats were very common. And it's interesting to go to the nurse's station, it almost always, always, almost always get the same formula, which was this white chalky drink. If you had a stomach ache, you got the white chalk, sore throat, white chalk. It was kind of the cure-all white chalk, which I still don't know what the white chalk was, but uh, everyone knew you'd get the white chalk and then you'd be in bed and having toast and uh, simple kitchery, which is a, a, um, a lentil and rice slow-cooked concoction that was supposed to settle the stomach. So if you wanted to play hooky um, and be sick, you knew that that's what you're going to eat. So it was kind of a catch-22. Although now as an adult, I love kitchery, but then not so much. So did your mom, did you see her much? Did you see your dad much? Like how, what'd you do on, since you didn't come back to the U.S., what'd you do on summer breaks? What did you do during the breaks? Did people leave the school? Did you stay there? How did that work? Well, we actually had winter breaks because we were in the Himalayas and there wasn't heat at the school. And 
to get hot water, they'd have to heat it up with a um, with tanks, so you'd only get hot water for a very short period of time. So for the winter break, it depends. One year we actually stayed there. That was an interesting year um, in the snow and everything. And there's no heat. There's there's no, no heat. warmth. No. And with blankets, like fireplace, nothing. Uh, no fireplace. Occasionally, you'd get a little coal stove or. If there was electricity, you could plug in a little burner and sit next to the burner. <laughs> oh my but, God. And then later, in the later years, I remember getting little um, coil heaters on the brakes. But no, not really. If, if you had a lot of money, maybe you could have bought a little coil heater. But there was no heat. Um, so it just depends because there were other students who also didn't go home. So when multiple years, we'd go to Rishikesh, which is... a a small town on the Ganga, the the river, and Americans know it as the Ganges. Yes, and then for entertainment, um, a very common thing would be to go into town and buy inner tubes from the tractors, the tires of the tractors, and then get rickshaws to take us as far as they would go north, and uh, we would just float down these rapids in these inner tubes come to find out again that as an adult it's incredibly dangerous and those rapids are actually um more dangerous than we had thought but as a child you know you have that innocence it never really occurred to me that to be scared or that it could be dangerous or anything bad could happen so we do things like that we do a lot of yoga a lot of meditation um yeah and did you like, did you get spending money? Like how, how did that work? Like, what'd you do? Like, what'd you buy? Did you, did you have any, like, what were your conditions of when you were not in school? I don't really remember if I had spending money. I don't think I had much money. That's for sure. Um, but I'd always really been into jewelry. So when I, I would save up whatever I did have and then go and buy something that was shiny, um, and that made me really happy. I've always really been attracted to gemstones and gold, yellow gold particularly. But I don't remember having much money, actually. And I don't even remember. We must have gotten some kind of an allowance, some small amount that you had to spread out. But I had a lot of really good friends whose parents gave them a lot of spending money. And uh, they'd always take care of me and include me or invite me or pay for me. Well, that sounds like a pretty different life than I think most people who grow up in America. And to look at you, I mean, if you don't know Sethadi, she's blonde hair. She looks, I mean, her descent is Swedish. Uh, she does not look like she would speak Hindi fluently and grow up India and not be exposed to a Western culture for most of her childhood. Um, so now obviously there's a lot more yoga and things, but at that time it was, it was very unique, uh, at that time. So how, how do you think that your experience is there? Tell us a little bit about how you, those experiences there, um, either made you stronger, uh, gave you helped you in your later life and helped you with things that would come in your life and were there difficult things that then you were able to um, later on in life that you had to deal with or get over or, or how did you use all that 
that different types of experiences and I'd say it wasn't very uh, abundant materially that's for sure from the sounds of it how did you use all that in your life as an adult um that was a lot of questions all at once well you can take what you want it gives you a lot of options to take what you want and talk about it (laughs) okay um well one thing that it for sure made me is incredibly strong um i feel like you could put me pretty much anywhere and i will survive and it's taught me how to adapt to most environments um and be fluid in the environments Um, But I think one of the things it did do as a deficit is I compartmentalized my feelings. It was easier to build up walls and not have feelings because survival was a lot more important than having a feeling about something. So uh, I think it has made me resilient and successful as an adult, but it's also given me... um, it's given me the strength to work on myself to heal all of my hurts. Um, that same strength and resilience. And I have a great appreciation or gratitude rather for, for God and for spirit and for my friends. And, um, one of my favorite things is to give to people. Um, I think because I received so much in those years from people that loved me, that's one of my happiest ways of showing my love and caring is to be able to give and to share and to help. Um, Does that answer your question? Yeah. How did, how, what are the tools or techniques that um, you have found to be most effective or things that you can share with others out there who may be listening on? How did you move from that place of compartmentalization of your feelings of to actually dealing and healing those hurts like what what have been the some of the tools that you've used and some of the keys that you've found work really well in that well i mean i've meditated most of my life but i met john roger um maybe 20 years ago and didn't really know anything about him being a spiritual teacher um, until maybe 13 or 14 years ago. And I would say forgiveness is a huge tool that I use, um, from his teachings. And then I went to university of Santa Monica and started working, working that working forgiveness, working, loving myself, um, and letting go, I don't know, letting go of my hurts, I guess. That's that's basically it. Love, actually. I mean, I would say love. Loving, opening my heart. Those are my biggest tools, I suppose. Forgiveness and loving. And what has been your personal path with uh, health and healing in terms of yourself uh, since, since your time in India? Well, I love to try pretty much anything. So I will experiment and try. If someone says it's going to make me feel better, I'll try it. I'm actually quite healthy, um, but I struggled a long, long time with digestive issues, um, 
and parasites and all of those kind of things. And I think you told me when you got back from India, didn't you have like a lot of issues? Tell about yeah, that. I did some tests and uh, the CDC actually called, I think called my mom and said that I had something they'd never seen before and recommended I take some antibiotic. But it's been a life struggle, but I'm so grateful for the struggle because it has taught me to learn more, to research more, to try more things. And pretty much anything I come across, um, anybody who knows me knows that I'll try it out. And if it works for me, if I think it's a positive thing, I want everyone around me to try it. I want everybody to try it. Try this. It's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you until I find the next best thing that's ever happened to you. Um, but I try everything first. My daughter, God bless her, she... Um, she goes along with it, um, but she lets me experiment on her. She's such a good guinea pig. And, um, you know, because I, I want her to be healthy. She has lived in India for many years, and so I'm always trying something to see what's going to fix that, what's going to make me happy, what's going to make her happy, what's going to make everyone around me happy, etc. One of the things that um, knowing you, I find, and the people who do know you well, you have this consciousness of wealth and you have this uncanny ability to manifest pretty much anything that you really want or set your mind to, which is an incredible quality. And I want to just get your perspective on wealth, on um, manifestation, because I know that you've told me there was a period where you would scrounge up, try to find enough enough money to get 69 cents or whatever it was. 59 cents. 59 cents, that it was a struggle to scrounge the money, the change, to get 59 cents so that you could afford a burrito at Taco Bell um, when you got back to America. And so you've definitely known that level of, uh, you could say, I don't know if lack is the right word, but just, um, or poverty. And then now you have a very, two very successful businesses. And so how, what's your view on uh, wealth and what are the things that you see that people do that work against them or that uh, might be, there's a better way? Well, I mean, wealth to me is a, uh is abundance and it's inside whether you have something or you don't have something you can still be incredibly wealthy i think and um, it's funny you should bring up that story about taco bell um i just want everyone to know that even though i was scrounging 59 cents to go to taco bell with my roommate at the time i did have a season pass to ski <laughs> so <laughs> it's a matter of priorities <laughs> even though you can't eat but at least i could well ski. you're teaching right no, that year I wasn't teaching yet. Yeah. I mean, the past was inexpensive, but um, I had moved out from living with my mom and uh, was living in New Mexico and just trying to make it all work. Um, but anyways, the, in regards to to wealth, inside of me, I just, um, I feel like it already is. So um I very rarely go into that place of lack that I either can't afford it or I can't have it or it's beyond my reach because I think as soon as one enters that consciousness, then you're stopping, you're stopping the flow. So for me, it sounds like you're saying to God or the universe, 
yeah, it's not going to happen. So then why would God give it to you? Because you've already told God that it's not going to happen. Whereas I look at it just the opposite. I already see it happening or I already see it done. And the more I give, the more I get, but I don't give to get. So it's a fine balance where I really do enjoy giving. Um, but I also know that giving, receiving is part of giving. And um, I do struggle more with receiving from others than I do giving. But I just have an understanding that God's going to give it to me. It's not even about deserving it. It just is. And I, I do want to say, sometimes I, when I go into lack or I go into contraction, I feel like, am I really going to make enough to do X, Y, and Z? And then I will go and buy something that is out of what would be um, logical to spend money on. So it was a number of years ago and uh, summers are sometimes slow for me and it had been kind of a slow summer and I'd been off tour for a while and, um, and I was thinking to myself, wow, maybe I'll never work again. And I started going into this really negative place even though I was working, so that's not really accurate, but I was really, you know, circling the toilet bowl of negativity. And so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go and expand my consciousness. So I went downtown and I found some diamonds, a diamond necklace that I really loved. And it was kind of a fancy diamond necklace and it was really a stretch to buy it. And I just bought it. I bought it, not on a credit card, but I bought it. And I thought to myself, I'm telling God, look, I totally trust that you're going to take care of me and you are going to give me what I need and I'm not worried. And then I wore it every single day. I slept in it. I exercised in it. I wore it all the time. And every time I'd look at it or I would touch it, it would just remind me to tap into that universal source of, um, of abundance. And that really works for me. So whenever I go into that contraction place. That's like a money magnet. Yeah, it is. It's a money magnet. Do you use the money magnet idea? I do. I love the money magnet idea. I also tithe. I, I think both are super important. Giving back to giving back to God or your higher power or something that's the source of your knowledge. And then most importantly, giving to myself because I'm doing the work. So money magnet to me is amazing. And um, did did you talk to JR at all, John Roger, about about wealth and did he give you any tips because i know you talk to him a lot privately about all this about your work and things of that nature well he told me a couple things one um there was a time when i first started working with him where uh, i was really embarrassed to charge and um and i sometimes even go into that now but very rarely where i want to give somebody a discount not because or not charge them at all, not because they deserve the discount or even asked for the discount, or I just have a contraction inside of me where I think, oh, I shouldn't be charging this person because of my preconceived judgments of the situation or my feelings of insecurity. I'm not exactly sure what it is, and sometimes it moves around. But he told me, especially with him, I thought, why would I charge him? Um, he said, I need to charge every single person, even if it's not um, my full amount, but even if it's, doesn't matter who it is, they have to be charged. And I realize that it's part of the cycle. It's the cycle of money and it's, um, acknowledging the flow. So that, that was a big one for me. Um, you work with 
you know, a number of the most wealthy people in the world. Um, do you find like, do you find that having all of that wealth and money, you know, cause there's a lot of studies these days about happiness and all that. Do you find that people who are in that position have that wealth consciousness, have that expanded thing? Do some of them, do some of them not? Like what's your experience with that? I think some do and some don't. And I also, I found it really interesting. Some people who have a lot of money are really sad people. And I think that's almost their karmic thing. It's almost a deficit where even though they have all this money, like financially abundant, but then where's God? You know, where's something outside of them? Where's something outside of that? And, um, and they're left in, in residing in lack, but not lack of finance, but lack of support, lack of, um, you know, spirit support, I think. Do you find in your work, because you work with a lot of people around health, do you find that consciousness plays a part in health? And can you talk to us a little bit about that, how you see that? I think it plays the biggest role in health. Um, I am a big believer in karma and not necessarily karma from this lifetime because I also believe in other lifetimes. And, um, and I think that in terms of disease, sometimes we attract disease, disease meaning disease, like disease inside the body. Um, because of where our consciousness is or where we're holding in our body hurts, resentments, um, anger. And I think it gets stored in different organs, um, wounds, you know, abuse. Um, and when it, it is unresolved, like any of those feelings are unresolved. I definitely feel it gets stored in the body in the corresponding organs or even other organs because maybe it's beyond what we even think it being the feelings or the upset is beyond what one can identify. Um, I also think that in some cases, like maybe you have a child and people are like, well, how could that child have that? They were just born. Well, maybe they came in with it. I mean, maybe it came from another lifetime and that's what's theirs to complete to work through that. Um, but I definitely see a correlation between emotions and disease. And I see the other way around as well, where if you heal your hurts, your resentments, forgiveness, you really unburden yourself really of the, the pain and resentments that people heal and spontaneously heal too. Yeah, that's something that uh, I work with, as you know, since you're my health guru as well. Um, and That's such a funny name. I know, but it's just so true. And I don't relate to it at I all. I know you don't. But you are uh, the, the maestro of alternative health. You've got your finger on the pulse. How about that? Um, and you're kind of like one of those dogs, I find, no offense, but those dogs who can sniff out disease uh, and they they can tell if someone has cancer or something because you can talk to someone for a little bit and you will know what's going on with them, what it's coming from, 
and will know exactly like the best course of treatment for them what you know where in the world to go what doctors to see and you know usually from our talks that the blood you know they'll do blood tests they'll do different types of tests whatever the tests are will confirm exactly what you told them and to me that is an incredible quality that you that you have about that um and i was going somewhere with what i was just saying and of course i'm completely blanking on that but i do find that amazing about what you do oh, okay so yeah now i remember what what I was going to ask you. So what do you find now? What, what is the new stuff going on? What's happening in Europe? What's happening? What, what do you think is like something, just one thing that's interesting that, that people don't know about somewhere in the world that you found, whether it's uh, something happening here, whether it has to do with stem cells or some other thing or peptides or whatever. What do you, what do you think is like the latest, greatest stuff happening in the alternative medical area that, that you know of? Well, there's so many things really. Um, I'm a really big fan of the amino acid L-serine, L like the letter and serine with an S. And yeah, you have me taking that. Yeah. And it's really amazing for preventing degenerative neurological disease like Alzheimer's and ALS and Parkinson's. And they've done, a nonprofit has been doing studies with ALS patients, and they're starting with Parkinson's patients, um, giving them L-serine, and they give them 30 grams, which a normal person doesn't need, a day. And their symptoms are either greatly improved or gone which I think is amazing. Um, so I encourage everybody. I love to be on L-serine. It doesn't taste that great, but if you mix it in a cup of tea with honey or put it into a smoothie. Yeah, I just put it in a smoothie. It's a little powder. You just yeah, it's a powder. get it on Amazon. It goes right down. And then um, I was in Switzerland recently, and um, and I was working with a woman with cancer, and I learned a new treatment. It's called Ukraine. Um, like the country and you do it as an IV drip and it starves the tumors and actually shrinks them, which I think is incredible. And uh, I don't think it's legal here in America, but if that's something you need, I would definitely look into that. Um, I mean, black cumin seed oil, if you're not allergic to black cumin seed is amazing. If you read the health benefits of that, I don't know why anyone wouldn't take it besides the taste. And even that, if you add a little honey into it, it goes right down. Um, you can get that. Make sure it's organic and cold-pressed, and you can get it on Amazon. Um, if you're in Europe, you can buy it at any health food store because they're so much more advanced than us. Then um, I'm a big fan of NAD+, which is a coenzyme, and the best way to get it is in the drip form but you could also do it in a shot form or you could do it in um, an oral tablet, but it doesn't work as well. And that's amazing too for depression and anxiety, massive anti-inflammatory, um, massively anti-aging. That's a wonderful treatment. And they do it for detoxing too. You can also do it a different protocol to detox drugs, um, any drug basically, um, between 10 and 13 days. And that's amazing. And why would someone use that to 
detox off of drugs versus just a regular medical detox or something like that? Because using NAD plus by the end of the 10 to 13 days, your brain is reset. So you actually feel clear and calm and you're not on a bunch of other drugs to get off drugs. You're actually off the drugs and your system is clear. Um, I like that one a lot. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? Well, I'm really into collagen powder, which is amazing if you're open to taking that because some people have a problem with where it comes from, but an organic grass fed collagen powder is amazing for your skin and hair and joints. Mix that with a little MCT oil. I actually put it in my coffee every morning, um, with a little cardamom and cinnamon. And sometimes I'll do a scoop of almond butter and blend the whole thing up. So I start my day, I'm getting my caffeine, which hits the adrenals, but I'm getting it with the good fats, which holds my blood sugar. I'm getting the protein in the collagen. If you get a good one, you can get maybe 18 grams of protein in two scoops. And then the cinnamon balances my blood sugar and the cardamom helps me digest it. And that's how I start my morning, which I love. And what do you call that? Banging coffee. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) When I was drinking coffee, I was a big fan of the banging coffee. Uh, Haven't been drinking it for a while. So that's some great stuff, uh, interesting stuff. I'd love, I think that, you know, we've tackled a lot here today, but I'd love to have you back on the show with whatever, maybe we'll make a little every once in a while, have you on just talking about some latest, greatest thing that, that you're seeing that your clients are doing that, you know, that is new and happening in the alternative health space, uh, as well as maybe go into depth a little more into some of your stories, because uh, I find them interesting, at least, and I'm sure others out there will find them interesting as well. So any last words? Oh, I do have some last words for you. Um, which is, I have a question, which I ask a lot of my guests when they come on the show. If you were dead today, I know it's a little morbid, but if you were dead today and you were at your own funeral and everyone that you knew in your life was there, uh, and you had a moment to tell them what it was that you learned in this life, uh, what would you tell those people I think I would say I learned how to love and on that note I think we'll end the show thank you so much Sahadi, for coming on the show and being interviewed and to all of you out there um, thank you for listening and we'll see you in a week you can get more information at my website transcend.online you can't find Sethadi online because uh, she is very private about her um, practice so it's been a great blessing to have her on the show thank you so much thank you thank you for having me and now for the disclaimer Anything you heard on this show is for information and education purposes only. Please consult with your doctor or medical professional before doing anything mentioned in this podcast.